I hope you enjoyed the fireworks last week. Hope you didn't get rained out too bad. I know some folks had to make a mad dash towards the car to avoid getting soaked. My wife and I, once church was canceled, we went over to the Paragon, sat back in those nice, comfortable chairs, ate a couple of pizzas, watched Arnold in Terminator. So you got to understand, Terminator is like a classic to, to my generation. It's like Gone with the Wind. I mean, the original came out in 1984, a month after we were married, and I remember the effects. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, the effects are amazing, right? Well, a lot has changed since then in movies and my marriage as well. Thank God for that. So again, last week we celebrated 239 years of our country. It's the date when the Second Continental Congress signed, approved the Declaration of Independence. And since that day, since that infamous shot heard around the world to, to, up to today, men and women have been making decisions to defend our democracy and our way of life. And I know we touched on it this morning, but before I go any further, I'd like to recognize you tonight. If you've ever served in the military or are currently serving in the military, please stand. Let us give you a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. You know, the past 239 years, they've shown us a few things as a country. And one of them is, is that we are a nation that is not unfamiliar with war. Since our inception in 1776, the United States has been involved in some form of war, battle, or conflict in 218 of those 239 years. I mean, there's only been 21 calendar years where we haven't been involved in some type of conflict. Think about it. I mean, America hasn't gone a decade without being involved in some form of war or conflict. Some form of war. Wouldn't it have been great that when we won our independence, our freedom, that we never had to fight again? Wouldn't it have been great? But see, history and present day shows us that we're no strangers to war. We're no strangers to war. From our colonials fighting the British to the men and women today fighting ISIS. It's common. It's common for us to be in war. We're no strangers to war except for maybe one. Except for maybe one war. And it may be a little bit more clandestine than the other wars, but it's no less real. It's no less real. And whereas America hasn't gone a decade without being in some form of battle, you and I, we haven't gone a day. And the war that I'm talking about is spiritual war, spiritual warfare. The Bible teaches, right, that a spiritual universe exists alongside a material universe. And beings from the spiritual universe have an impact on us and our lives here. And when we dismiss that impact, it leaves us ill-equipped and ill-prepared to deal with a very real and very present and persistent enemy. Listen to what John Eldred said. He said, we live in a world at war. We're supposed to fight back. It's a difficult reality to embrace as witnessed by the passivity that marks much of modern Christianity. See, we just want the Christian life to be all about the sweet love of Jesus. But that's not what's going on here. You may not like the situation, but that only makes it unattractive. It doesn't make it untrue. Spiritual warfare reminds me of a story I heard surrounding World War I. 
1914 to 1917, the Russians were involved in a brutal battle on the Eastern Front with the Germans, where over three million men would die. And see, at that time, unfortunately, the Russians, they didn't have enough weapons for every man. So when they were in their trenches and they were, they were ordered to attack the enemy, there's a lot of them, they didn't have any rifles, they didn't have any pistols. They were like, sir, we don't have any weapons. And they were told, run anyway. Run anyway and grab the gun of the man next to you who gets shot. It's a true story. So when the order was given to attack, they would run towards a heavily armed German army just running and screaming with no rifle and no pistol, and ultimately, they were gunned down. You know, I believe many of us are like those unarmed Russian soldiers. We're running into battle, and we're doing a lot of yelling and screaming, but we're not carrying any weapons, and we're meeting the same fate. I hope to change that tonight, hopefully by increasing our awareness a little bit of spiritual warfare and, and maybe readying us for action a little bit. I'm going to do that tonight by answering two questions surrounding spiritual warfare. The message is going to be broken up in two parts. The first question is, hey, how did we get here? How did I even get here? And the second is, what are we fighting? What are we fighting? See, folks, this is important. Because if you don't have a little bit of an idea of how we got here and why, you're going to end up as a spectator rather than a soldier. And let me tell you, spectators, they make easy targets. It reminds me, in uh, August of 1990, I was home on leave with my family, and I got a phone call. It was my boss, and he said, you need to return to your duty station immediately because Iraq just invaded Kuwait. I said, okay. Went back to my duty station, Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina. Within a week, I was on a C-141 traveling to the Middle East where I would spend seven and a half months. I remember when we landed and I w exited the plane and walked out onto the flight line, and the first thought in my head was, oh, man, it's hot here. I have never felt heat like this. My second thought was, where am I? I don't even know where I am. I remember asking a supervisor, I was like, sir, where are we? He said, UAE. I said, I'm what? He said, no, United Arab Emirates. I was like, thanks. I, had no, I didn't even know that was a country. I didn't even know where it was. I, I had no nothing. I was standing on the flight line with a bunch of other young airmen. I had no idea where I was. And there were people around us who all had jobs. Obviously, they were getting stuff done, and everybody was busy, and everybody had a job to do. And I stood there saying, I don't even know what to do or where to go. And isn't that what it feels like sometimes with spiritual warfare? Like you've been picked up, and you've been placed in the middle of a battle, and everybody else knows what to do but you. Right? Well, we're going to address that tonight. We're going to address that, and we're going to answer our first question, how do we get here, by looking at what I call the five stages of spiritual war. We're going to go through these kind of quick. They're not really in debt. It's kind of an overview, but I hope that from these, you'll go home and you'll do your homework. Okay, so we're going to cover these real quick. And, you know, every battle has a beginning, and spiritual warfare is no different. It's no different. In our first stage, stage one, is what I call the rebellion. It's the rebellion. And it starts, surprisingly, not in Genesis 1-1, but in John 
1.1. In John 1.1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Folks, before you and I ever came into the picture, there already existed a spiritual universe that contained God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and a host of angels. They were already here doing what they're doing. And then, war breaks out. A battle begins in heaven. And it says in Revelations 12:7, listen, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Folks, this spiritual war that we are a part of started in heaven before we were ever introduced. And I believe that every war and battle since that time can trace its roots back to that moment. I believe that. Stage one. Stage one. But the war would take a more personal turn in stage two, what I call Genesis, the creation and the fall. Genesis. This is where our story becomes part of a larger story. And it starts in Genesis chapter one. This is where God says, Hey, let us make man in our own image. And it said he created the male and female, right? So he's created, creates man, creates female. In Genesis chapter 2, he tells us a little bit more about how he did it. Raise a man up from the dust from the ground, breathes life into his nostrils. He becomes a human being, right? A living being. Takes a rib out of the man, makes a woman. Here, now, things are good. Things are idyllic. You have the creator and the creation spending time in Eden, just walking in the cool of the garden. Things are good until there's enemy movement. I say it's the first shot that introduced us into this war. It's when Satan comes in. Satan enters and he comes up to Eve. We know the story, right? Did God really say not to eat from that tree? And now Adam and Eve, given fall and sin, enters our story. Sin enters our world. It reminds me of a scene in Black Hawk Down. See, it's a movie that depicts the 1993 operation to Mogadishu, Somalia, where a mission got sideways, and what was supposed to take 30 minutes took 13 hours and cost 18 American lives. At 1620, Black Hawk helicopter, call sign Super 6-1, gets shot down by local Somali militia. Falls to the ground. Both pilots die. Camera goes to the General Garrison, who's watching the scene unfold on closed-circuit monitor, and he says, we just lost the initiative. We just lost the initiative. I believe when Adam and Eve fell to the demonic militia in Eden, humanity said the same thing. We just lost the initiative. And now, every man, every woman, every child that's ever been born or who will, will ever be born is recruited into this eternal spiritual battle, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. 
From that point forward, from that Genesis account through Malachi in, in, in these, what is it, the, all the recorded books of the, 39 recorded books of the Old Testament, we read. We read of the origin and genealogy of families. We see men and women rising to face insurmountable odds. We, we read stories that, that make us come alive. We, we read others that break our heart. We see joy and sadness, victory and failure throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's like the narration of human history. We see in it a pattern of our lives and a prophecy of a coming Savior. But also on every page, on every word, we see a God fighting and to forge a relationship with His creation throughout it. But we also see war. We also see war and plenty of it. Plenty of it. But every war has a turning point. Every war has a turning point. In the American Revolution, it was the Battle of Saratoga. In the Civil War, it was Gettysburg. In World War II, it was Normandy. And in our spiritual war, ladies and gentlemen, it was Jesus Christ. Come on. And that's where stage three picks up, with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the first two chapters of Luke, we, we see the angel telling Mary, you're going you're gonna to become pregnant with the Savior. We see Jesus in chapter two being born. Listen, when Jesus enters the, the war, a whole new phase of the, of the battle, it, it produced a whole new phase of the battle begins. See, what was once invisible is now open in public. Here's God in the flesh walking in and among His people. He's teaching them. He's healing them. He's serving them. And He's even warning them. You've heard some of the warnings. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Right? Everything done in the dark will be in the light. And he issues, a bat, he issues a battle dictum in John 8, 32. Listen to, to all of us. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. People were celebrating. Things were great. The, the war had turned in humanity's favor. Right? He says, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. He was saying, I'm the truth. He's here. We're free. Things are going to be great. And then he's gone, beaten, torn to shreds, publicly, on display. And he's nailed to a cross and hung in front of the whole city. There's your hope for humanity dying on a cross. And it's over. It's over before it even began. And it feels like folks' hopes are crushed. But let me tell you what's interesting about war. See, in war, what sometimes can seem like a crushing defeat can actually be a catalyst that turns the tide of the battle. It's not uncommon for an enemy to believe they have the leverage or the upper hand only to find out that they've been outflanked, outsmarted, 
And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened in this battle because in three days, Jesus would rise from the dead and completely change the landscape of the war once again. What was, what was limited geographically is now available globally, right? And he, and he gives us his presence as an example of how to, how to win this war, but then he ushers us into phase four and gives us the power to win it. Amen? He gives us the power. It says, and he speaks regularly through John 14 through 16 about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth. We have the book of Acts. The book of Acts to tell us that Acts has it all, supernatural interventions, Right? Powerful preaching, astounding miracles, breathtaking escapes. More than anything else, Acts shows us the integration of humanity and the Holy Spirit in such a way that it empowers it and launches the church. And one of those individuals, completely transformed, changed by the Holy Spirit, gives us a little more definition on what our battle looks like in Ephesians 6.12. In Ephesians 6.12, where the Apostle Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where we are today. That's where our struggle is at today. That's our war. So what does this mean to you specifically sitting here tonight? One, there's a war, and you're in it. You're in it. And now, while the end is known, stage five. We have stage one, right? Stage one's the rebellion. Stage two, Genesis. Stage three, Jesus comes. Stage four, Holy Spirit in the church. Stage five is the return and the reckoning. Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. I know sometimes we can get lulled to sleep, but it's coming. The return. Matthew 24, 27. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The return is coming. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, there's a reckoning. There's a reckoning. Revelations 20.10, and the devil who deceived them, listen, it tells us, was thrown into a lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Five stages. We're not there yet. You and I, we're still in stage four. We are fighting in stage four. Holy Spirit and the church. Okay? Little overview. That's where you are. That's why you're here. That's what you're called to do. What am I called to do? Good good question. So what are we fighting? What are we fighting? I'm going to identify three areas real quick. Three areas, three battle fronts, I call them, where I believe that we have to battle and fight every day. Every day, you and me. The first one is our culture. Our church. Second. Third is our character. Three places, three battlefronts where we all have to fight, where our spiritual war is being played out right there. 
right there. Let's look at the first one, our culture. Pastor Fred preached an incredible message last week on race and politics. And he gave us specific suggestions on how to mend race relations and rise above the political fray. So from news headlines to our pastor's message, I believe that the fiercest fight we have in the cultural battle is the battle for truth. It's a battle for truth. This is like fighting a war on foreign soil. Right? Dominic Tierney said in his book, The Right Way to Lose a War, funny title, that's what he said. Fighting alien adversaries on the far side of the globe hands the opponent home field advantage. And then he said, we're strangers in a strange land. But I think Peter said something like that too, didn't he? He said, we're strangers, foreigners. Satan's strategy is simple. In this battle for truth, his strategy is simple. This is what he says. There are no absolute truths. There are none. You may hear it posed as, there are many ways to get to heaven. Or, there are no universal truths, just perceptions and opinions. Let me tell you something. Watered-down truth is satanic. It's satanic. And it's the same tactic that Satan used to infiltrate and disrupt the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. And it's the same tactic he used to try to tempt Jesus in the desert. And you know what? It's the same tactic he's using on you and I here tonight. It's the same thing he uses against us. How? Glad you asked. In 2006, Merriam-Webster's produced the Word of the Year. And the Word of the Year beat it. This Word of the Year, I'm going to show you, beat out terrorist and Google. And the new Word of the Year in 2006 was truthiness. Truthiness. It's a noun. The quality of preferring concepts or facts one wishes to be true rather than concepts or facts known to be true. John Moore, the president of Merriam-Webster's, when this came out, said this. We're at a point where what constitutes truth is on a lot of people's minds. And now, that's what he says. Truth, it's up for grabs. How do we fight for truth? How do we fight? See, Jesus said in Matthew, you, me, We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. Paul says in Romans, hey, look, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Pastor Fred said last week, anything that moves us towards greater harmony without foregoing morality is something we should pursue. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth of God's Word is always something we should pursue. If we waver, listen, If we waver on the truth of God's Word, we will end up captured by conformity, captured by conformity 
or claimed a casualty and not even know it. Be a casualty and you won't even know it. And some of the reasons that we lose these battles is because the way we wage war. We think if we push harder and we yell louder that it's going to get communicated. But what happens is our enemy pushes back even harder and shouts even louder. See, this is what's interesting is that sometimes the, the, the way God calls us to win these battles, they don't always seem rational to us. They don't seem to make sense. Remember the crucifixion? Do you think Jesus' followers were like, yes, we got him on the ropes now? No. And yet, it completely changed the landscape of the battle. So how do we win the fight for truth? How do you and I make a difference in our culture? What do we do? Well, the answer may surprise you. We care. We care. Remember how many times it says in here that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Listen, truth is transferred, folks, not by debating, but by relating. Right? I told my wife to hashtag that. That's a fact. You need to find out somebody's story before you sentence them. Jesus ate with sinners, not because they had a smoker that they won at a dance and they make the best lamb in town. I won a smoker last night. He didn't eat with sinners because they made the best lamb. He ate with them because he wanted to influence them with his compassion. If, I heard it said, if we spend half the time praying for people that we do just complaining about people, the results could be different. Mark Galley, incredible author, wrote a book, Jesus, Mean, and Wild, great book. Editor of Christianity Today said this. Biblical inconsistencies in our life, see, they are inconsistencies, they reveal our fear and our prejudice. He just said this, by the way, this week. Our passion to root out sexual sin while being relatively indifferent to, to racism or gluttony or other sins, it opens us up to a charge of hypocrisy. Moreover, he continues, before we, before we spend too much time trying to straighten out American neighborhoods, we might want to get our own house in order. And that takes us to our next battle, the church. The church. This is a battle for unity. In the culture, it's a battle for truth. In the church, it's a battle for unity. And when I talk about a battle in the church, I, I'm meaning two things. One, between churches and within churches between people. Again, between churches and within here between us. Paul said, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no division among you and that you may be perfectly, what are we fighting for? Unity in mind and thought. According to a study by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, they said that there are over 41,000 Christian denominations. 41,000 Christian denominations. The Hampton Roads Church Guide 
about a year or so back, reported that on record they had like 1,300 churches in Hampton Roads. They said there's hundreds more, surely, that aren't recorded. Well, with a population of 1.5 million people and 1,500 churches, that's 1,000 people per church. But that's not a reality. Our church is fragmented at best and fractured at worst. And it's no shock that churches can be somewhat territorial. It's like field commanders fighting the same war in the same theater, right? And I believe it's city life when it comes to creating unity between churches. I think we lead in that area. I think we lead there by trying to partner with other churches and sharing resources so we're not weighed down with a lot of debt. I think we do that well when we share events with other churches as well. I think we lead there, you know? I love that there are many life groups in here that we have members in life groups from all different churches. That's a good thing, folks. That's a great thing. We need to keep encouraging that. But we also need to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in here. Paul speaks regularly of the continuous infighting that happens within churches, right? See, the enemy knows how crippling church fights and church splits can be. So he builds his strategy around offense. Offense. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. Offense. So how do we win it? How do we win the fight for unity? How do we connect with other churches and with people within our own church? How do we overcome offense? <laughs> so another one's going to shock you right here. We love. We love. Simple, right? Simple. Probably our biggest struggle in our walk is right there. It's right there. You want a deep theological, theological truth on how to win? That's it. That's it. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says this. With all humility and gentleness. This is what the word says. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bear with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says, bear with one another in love to maintain unity. Jesus said in John, everyone will know you're my disciples by what? By your love for each other. I, I think that's a great place to start. When it comes to demonstrating love within our house here, I know that we're not all going to have real warm fuzzies for each other, for, you know, we're not all going to go to Jason's Deli together after church. I get that. We're different. We want diversity. That's good. We're going to have different interests. And that's okay. I don't expect you all just to get that feeling like I do when I see my grandkids. But I tell you what I do expect. I expect you to offer grace. I expect you to show mercy. You, you, have, you have reasons for your offense. I know that you do. Because I have them for mine. And God tells me there's no room for it. You don't even realize it, but you're being slipped on like a glove by the enemy to divide my house. 
If you have issues with someone in here, have the courage to go talk to them, to take them out and pray with them. Pray with them. If you're not feeling it, you're not living it. Because there's a part of us that tells us, you know that feeling that you have right there for that person or that person, the one that you walk right by and you don't say anything to? That's satanic. And you're being used by the enemy. And you think it's not a big deal. But yet Satan's doing to try to divide God's house. And there's something that has to happen in us that we are not imprisoned to offense. We have to rise above that. And when you step out to do that, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. Then you know you're in the zone. That's where change comes. Can we agree to do that tonight? Can we agree to examine our hearts tonight and say, if there's any offense in me towards anyone in here, in my family, Lord, help me with that tonight to lay that down. Let's do that tonight to strengthen in here. The stronger we're, we are together in here, the stronger we'll be out there. Jerry Rankin wrote a book called Spiritual Warfare. He said, we dare not presume to confront external manifestations of Satan's attacks if we have not claimed the victory in our own life, which leads us to our fiercest battle of all, our character, right? In us, the toughest battle of all. What is this battle for? Holiness. For holiness. This is the war between the flesh and the spirit. Listen what uh, Paul said. Hey, stop acting like you used to. You know, when you did whatever you felt like doing, start acting like Jesus. Letting the Holy Spirit lead you. Before long, you'll begin looking like God. Wearing true righteousness and holiness. Any attitude that you have that is trumping, you know, any attitude that's like, ooh, my thoughts, my feelings, my opinions, how do I look, what do I feel, what do I want, that's flesh. Okay, just letting you know. If, if, if you didn't know that coming in, going out, I'm letting you know that's flesh. And that's what's warring against the Spirit. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line separating good and evil, it passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. There's your battle for holiness. The fiercest fight of all, folks, it's right in here. It's our character. It's our character. And it's easy. It's easy to be a Facebook sniper. And take shots at the culture from thousands of yards or miles away and not be involved. It's easy when things are difficult in the church to pull back. Maybe find another church where they don't know you. Maybe not go as often. Let someone else deal with all that stuff. Give it to Pastor Jamie. He's great at it. Right? You can do that. You can distance yourself from the culture. You can pull yourself back from the church. But I'm here to tell you, what you can't run from, folks, is your character. 
because you've heard it said, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) Right? So what's Satan's strategy when it comes to our character? When it comes to walking in holiness, what's his strategy actually? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. This is what I want you guys to do. Focus on you. Make life one big selfie. It's all about me. Right? It's what I want to do. It's how I want to spend my time. It's what makes me feel good. Right? Why come I'm never heard? How come nobody cares about me? See, I look through this, and I don't remember Jesus saying that. I don't remember him saying, why nobody gives me a chance? They walk right past me and even say anything. Don't they know how important I am? Man. How do we win this? How do we win this? How do we win the fight for holiness? <laughs> Look, I know. I probably sound like a broken record sometimes. But you know Paul himself said, I keep telling you this and I'm going to tell you again. Hasn't he said it? He says things, he repeats himself. So I'm going to repeat myself. So how do we win the battle for holiness? going to want to write this down. We serve. We serve. Look, before you think I make this stuff up, because I know you're like, oh man, he's tired of service again. Before you think I make this up, this is in the Bible. For you're called to freedom. We're talking about freedom tonight, right? Freedom, Independence Day last week, freedom. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another. And what was our, our last battle? In love. That's what it says. I'm not telling you to love and serve. God is. It's right there. Ed Stetzer, in Subversive Subversive Kingdom, good book, said, as much as kingdom citizenship means championing a bold new cause, it still means developing good, old-fashioned character. Yes, a kingdom heart must go to the bone, to the words we say, to the patience we show, to the spouse we married, to the habits we kicked and those we still hold on to. Character. Can I have the worship team come up, please? A couple weeks ago, I was standing out in the foyer, working welcome center with my beautiful wife, and I was talking to a couple guys, and, and I said, you know what? I believe there's no greater time in human history to be alive than today than this moment. And they're probably like, what, man, after everything going on with the Supreme Court, ah, what are you talking about? Really? Yeah. Because now, more than ever, the world needs us. They need us. 
they need us to win these battles. They need us to win the battle for truth in our culture, not by demanding it, folks, but by demonstrating it. They need us to win these battles. And unfortunately, in many ways, we're losing. They need us to win the battle for unity in our church. If the sinners, those who don't even know Jesus, have never had a salvation experience, if they can connect and give their lives to unrighteous causes, can't we together, right, unite in areas of righteousness and the gospel and win the battle for unity? And the world needs us. It needs you and it needs me to win the battle for holiness in our character. Media is standing by waiting to tell the world where we failed again. We'll fall, we will, but we'll rise again. And we are going to pursue holiness to the end. These three actions, care, love, service, they're interchangeable. You can switch them around. You want to you wanna show truth in the culture? Yeah, care and have compassion. But you know what? Learn to love some people. Serve in your community. Get out and about with them. You want to strengthen unity in your church? Yeah, absolutely. Learn to love. But you know what? Can you care for someone other than yourself? Can you serve at the church where you'll develop unity because you're working alongside people? And if you want strength of character, look, I lived a long time as a man with zero character. Zero, actually, it was in the negatives. God has tried to walk me through, and I got a long way to go, but from where I was, and I'm telling you, how did I get there? Right there. I learned to care for others. God showed me what love meant. He showed me what love meant, and I began to serve and put others' needs above my own. Folks, these are offensive actions. These are offensive actions that that we need to win the war that we're fighting every day spiritually. Before we go into worship, I want to say this. If you try to do these on your own power, you're going to lose. And you're going to get mad. And you're going to get frustrated. Because nothing seems to be working. Because every time I go in the culture, I just get more mad. Every time I try to connect with someone at church, I get my feelings hurt. And every time I try to do something with my character, I just get tired of it and I just give up. You know why? Because you're trying to do it. And we can't. We can't. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And His divine power giving us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own goodness and glory. If you felt unarmed and ill-equipped in a spiritual battle. That can change tonight. You can join with Jesus tonight and enter the war in such a way that you begin to make ground for the kingdom. You do not have to walk out of here anymore under a victim mentality. See, the battle has been won. 
We, we know stage five. It's a fact. We're just in stage four. So as we do what we're called to do, when we care, when we love and we serve in stage four with stage five in mind, we win. We win. So you're going to face these battles every day. But you can win. Let's worship. And I want you to pray. Stand up with me. I want you to pray. And I want you to believe that the spiritual battles in your life are taking a turn tonight. And you're going to begin to win. You're going to learn how to care. You're going to learn what love looks like. And you're going to begin to put others before yourself. Let's worship.